In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole of the earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my teeth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of God. Thanks. If we've not yet met, my name is Bijan, pastor for our church, and let me add my welcome. If you're new, if you're visiting, it is great to see you, great to be gathered together on this rainy London morning. Today is week three of our vision series. This year, our vision is to be a church pursuing encounter that leads to mission, experiencing God in such a way that our lives are changed and our city is changed. We've been for three weeks now in Isaiah chapter 6. We'll continue today. Let me pray even as we prepare to look at this passage. Our God, thank you for gathering us this morning. And now with the Bible open in front of us, we ask that you would open up our hearts, our minds to hear and to understand what your spirit would say to your church today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. In the middle part of the 19th century, there was a really big church just south of the river called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was pastored by a man named Charles Spurgeon. And this church, for any period of time, but especially back then, was huge. Thousands of people. Every Sunday, there were people coming to faith in Jesus, missionaries being sent all over the world. There were schools and programs to serve the city. This was a big, successful church. And one day, there was a group of young ministers, people who aspired to be fruitful pastors, who came to visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And they found the pastor, Charles Spurgeon, and as they were overwhelmed by the bigness of the church, the impact of the ministry, they said to Spurgeon, what's your secret? How is this possible? Where do you get the power of building this size, all these people, all this ministry? What's your secret? And so Spurgeon looked at these young ministers and he said, well, let me show you our church's boiler room. And they thought, why is he going to take us, you know, this is the 19th century, down to the basement to see the steamy room that powers the building. Let me show you our boiler room. So Spurgeon does take them down to the basement and he says, friends, this is the boiler room of our church. And he opens the door and there's a hundred people on their knees praying. And he says, this is the secret to our success. 
This is the boiler room of the church. Prayer. And at its heart, what is prayer? It's many things, but at its heart, prayer is encountering God and enjoying his presence. And as you just heard Isabel say, that's fundamentally what a church is meant to be. A community of people who pray, who enjoy and encounter the presence of God and who see their lives changed, who see their cities changed, who see their churches changed, ultimately who see the world changed. And that's what we're talking about in our vision. What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a person who encounters God and then is sent out on mission for God? Who experiences the presence of God and then makes that God known in the city? That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. He has a vision of God's holiness and his life is never the same. And the question that I want to ask you today, the thing that we're going to be talking about for this sermon is where did this happen? Isaiah has a life-transforming encounter with the holiness of God. Where did it happen? And the answer in your passage, it's there in verse 1. It's mentioned again in verse 4. Isaiah encounters God in the temple. And if you're going to encounter God, if we as a church are going to encounter God, it's going to be because we are a temple because we get to the temple. And so that's all I wanna do with you this morning is explore what is a temple, who is a temple, and what that means for you. So what is a temple, who is a temple, and what does all this mean for us today? So first, what is a temple? Let me give you a twofold definition of a temple. On one hand, a temple is a space where heaven touches earth. A temple is a space where heaven touches earth, where you experience more than meets the eye. And second, we can say a temple is a place where a person, a human being, encounters and enjoys the presence of God. Now, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to our sermon. But if you were here last week, you'll remember that... Isaiah, as he sees the holiness of God, his immediate reaction is actually one of fear. Because as we observed, God's holiness is so magnificent that a human being can't be in the presence of God unless that presence is mediated. Unless God, if you would, restrains his glory so that that person is not completely overwhelmed and undone by the presence of God. We said the brightness of God's glory is like that of the sun times a zillion. You can barely look at the sun in all of its glory. Imagine trying to hug it. You couldn't. And God's glory makes the sun look dark. And what Isaiah is realizing is, even as I'm encountering the presence of God, (laughs) I can't stand unless God mediates his presence. So what's a temple? It's the place where the presence of God dwells among his people in a mediated way. And so in the story of the Old Testament, in the story of the people of Israel, God says, I will be with you. I want to dwell in your midst. And the way that I'm going to do that, it starts in a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable tent that the people would bring with them wherever they went throughout their wilderness journey. And that's where the presence of God was. 
So you were able to go to the tabernacle and you were able to experience God's presence in a mediated way. God was with us and we encounter him through sacrifice, through praise and worship. We encounter him in surrender and giving and offering. And we encounter him as a community. That was the tabernacle. Eventually, as the story of God's people goes on, they're not wandering in the wilderness anymore. They're permanently residing in a city called Jerusalem. And so they go from a tabernacle, which was a tent, a temporary structure, and they build a temple. And the temple was this magnificent building that was the place in which a human being could encounter God. Because God's presence was there in a mediated way. And that's where Isaiah has this vision in the temple. Now, as long as human beings have existed on the planet, there have been temples. Our city is filled with temples. And you say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, sure, lots of people in London are religious, but lots of people aren't. Lots of people have moved beyond the spiritual, the religious, having faith or going to temples, places of encountering the divine. Let me challenge you this morning. Our city is filled with temples. Human beings can't help but make temples. And even when those temples don't have religious names, believe me, they're places of spiritual experience. So, Right now, throughout London and the UK, thousands upon thousands of people are going to football stadiums. And what are they doing? They have sacrificed tons of money to get a ticket, to go sit with a bunch of other people experiencing community, to worship and praise their heroes on the pitch, and to sing songs together that give a sense of belonging and meaning. And for those 90 minutes, everyone in that stadium feels like they are part of something bigger than themselves. That is a temple. Give you another example. One of the things that many of us experienced during COVID was the inability to go to concerts or live music venues. And there was an article written in 2020 that said, a lot of people are going through significant depression because they've lost the ability to experience music together. And the sociologist was saying that actually going to a concert for many people is not just something you enjoy, it's something you need. It's something fundamental to your humanity. So whether you're going to a show at the O2 or a tiny gig spot in Hackney, what happens when you show up to listen to live music? The article says, this is not a Christian writing, the article says when you show up to listen to live music, you experience a sense of community, someone in the center of attention that you praise or idolize, and that momentary feeling of elevation, a sense of transcendence, connecting to the divine. Now, I could give you tons more examples, but what's the point? This city is filled with temples. But those temples, and I'm not, by the way, criticizing sport or music, we need them. But all those temples are shadows. What Isaiah experiences is the sun the reality, the actual presence of God in a mediated way. That's what Isaiah experienced, and it changed his life. So the question now for us is, okay, if that's what a temple is, if human beings desperately need those places of encounter, community, praise, transcendence, the next question I want to ask is, who is the temple? 
And that question is meant to sound a little confusing because the way we've been talking about it, a temple in the Old Testament, a temple even in London today, is a place you go. But what happens is you keep moving through the story of the Bible is you realize a temple is actually not ultimately a place you go. It's a person that you can have a relationship with. The true and ultimate temple is God who became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to call your attention now to another passage of scripture that grounds us in this truth. It'll be on the screen, but I want to read to you and talk about John chapter 2 for just a couple of moments. John chapter 2 is fascinating. Jesus Christ is in the city of Jerusalem. And at this part of history, the temple, the temple that Isaiah knew, the temple that the people of Israel loved, was literally standing. It was a big structure right in the heart of the city. And on this particular day in John chapter 2, Jesus is there in Jerusalem. The temple is right behind him. So he's there teaching. And here's the context. He had come to the temple And what was meant to be a place of encounter with God, a place of worship, and a place of prayer, the religious establishment of that day turned the temple into a profit-making market, exploiting people, and especially poor people, who had come to worship. And so Jesus comes to this place that's supposed to be a place of encounter with God. He sees people basically making a buck, and he's furious. And Jesus starts cleaning house. He cleans the temple. Now, the religious establishment is Jesus is literally there throwing over tables and and grieved and angry at how worship has been perverted. The religious authorities say to Jesus, and this is verse 18 of the passage, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? They're saying, what gives you the right? I mean, if I came into your house and I started moving your furniture around, You would say, what gives you the right? I mean, you know, maybe more meanly. So they're saying to Jesus, you've come into the temple. What gives you the right to clean house? Look at what Jesus says. Destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. Picture the scene with me. Right behind Jesus is the magnificent temple structure. It took 46 years to build. You've never seen a building as beautiful as that temple. And Jesus is standing there and they say to him, what gives you the right to clean house? And he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. They were perplexed. And they say, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you are going to raise it in three days? But look at verse 21. The temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus is the true temple. Even that structure that the people of God used to encounter God's presence, even that was a shadow. But Jesus is the reality. And so Jesus has the audacity to look at those people and say, I'm the real temple. I'm the true temple. And when this building comes down, you'll realize that I'm the ultimate meeting place of heaven and earth. 
I'm the only, the only way that you can ultimately and fully encounter the presence of God. And by referencing three days, Jesus is saying more than just I'm the temple, but the way to encounter God is through my dying and my rising. That reference to three days is three days after Jesus dies, he rises from the dead. What is Jesus saying? All the temples that have ever existed, they point towards me. All the longing that human beings have for connecting to something divine, connecting to something transcendent. And that's true for every person. Even if you say, I'm not religious, I don't like church, I don't have any faith. Deep in our hearts, we're longing for something beyond the walls of this world. Some of you know the author Julian Barnes. He wrote a book called Nothing to be Frightened of. It's a book about a character grappling with his mortality, the fact that he's going to die. And the very first sentence of that book says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. What's that? That's a person honestly saying, I don't have faith, but I can't escape the fact that sometimes I long for something beyond the walls of this world. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he looks at the city and he says, everything you're looking for, everything you're longing for, it's right here. I'm the temple. I'm the place where heaven touches earth. I'm the place where you can encounter God. And the wonder of wonders is that he came and he mediates the presence of God by becoming one of us. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is how you know God. Jesus is how you get into God's presence. Jesus is the temple. He's the place of encounter. Now, if that were all I could say, that by itself would be amazing. But actually, the New Testament takes this idea one step further. Because as you keep reading, right, Jesus defeated death, he rose again, he's the true temple. But as you keep reading through the story of the Bible, you come to the letters of Paul and the other leaders of the first Christian church. And you know what they begin to say? The temple, yes, it's a person, Jesus, but that's not the whole story. Most wonderfully of all, the temple is now not just a person, it's a people. The temple is the church. Let me briefly try to explain what I mean here. Jesus is the true temple. He's the presence of God on earth. But what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody in whom Jesus dwells. A Christian is somebody who's united to Jesus Christ. And that means that to be a Christian is to be a temple. That we as a church are literally a temple here in London. Paul the Apostle makes this point. Let me read just a couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this, in him, Jesus, the whole building, that's the temple, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Probably the force of that doesn't land on you the way it's meant to. That Paul's saying to a group of imperfect people, if you're a Christian, you are a temple here on earth. That you are the place where heaven touches earth. That you are the presence of God wherever you go. 
Now think about that for a second. If you're a Christian here today, when you go to your job, you've just brought a temple into your office. When you go to your coffee shop and order your flat white, there's a temple there. That's what Paul's saying. The people of God are so indwelt by Jesus that they bring the presence of God with them wherever they go. And that means as a church, work to be a temple in London. We're to be a picture of God's presence in this city. When people come here, they're meant to experience the power and the love and the grace of God. Whether we gather together on a Sunday or whether we're scattered throughout our city. And so what I want to ask now as we come to the end of our sermon, what does this mean for us, right? We're in a series talking about our vision. And so practically, I want to spend a few minutes unpacking if this is true. If Jesus is the true temple and because he lives in us, we're a temple. What does this mean for us today? Four things. First, many of us need to be honest about church hurt. I recognize that as I stand here today and I'm preaching a sermon on how you encounter God in the people of God, how you know God more deeply because of your engagement in a local church, many of you are thinking about past experiences of experiencing hurt in a church community. And so for you to even be here this morning is a tremendous act of courage. I hear that. I know that. And so we don't want to ignore, even as we talk about encountering God in the church, that for many people, coming to church or being part of a spiritual community is challenging. Now, processing that is incredibly important. And doing so in a safe way, with trusted leaders, maybe a skilled and wise therapist, getting encouragement from friends, whatever feels comfortable and safe to you, but processing church hurt is significant. And acknowledging that, I also just want to say, if you've had difficult or painful experiences in a church before, the way forward can't be no church. But it has to be prayerfully and maybe slowly finding a healthy church that you can commit to and be part of. I say healthy, I don't say perfect, because I've yet to find a perfect church. And if you do find one, probably you shouldn't go because you're going to mess it up, (laughs) just like I would. So not perfect, but a healthy church that's honest and transparent and open. Place where things are discussed and talked about. Questions can be addressed. But the answer can't be no church. It has to be being part of a community of faith. Because look, we're a temple. This is the place where God's presence is mediated in our city. So I'm just acknowledging on one hand, yes, church hurt is real. But there are ways to process. And if you have questions about that. If you want to talk to us about that, we have skilled pastoral leaders in this community that would love, when you're ready, to be a safe sounding board to help you navigate what processing church hurt can look like. Second thing, by way of application, not only being honest about church hurt, but second, and you might say on the other side of the spectrum, I want to challenge us this morning to prioritize Sunday worship. You say, prioritize Sunday worship? I'm here, aren't I? You are. But let me just sketch for you, trying to do this as guilt-free as I possibly can. About 30 years ago, when people in London were asked, do you regularly attend a church? If someone said yes, 
what they meant by that was they were at church three or four times a month. Now, when Londoners get asked the same question, do you regularly attend a church? If somebody says yes, what that means is I go one time a month. And so what we've had in our society is a shift in which people have thought of being a regular part of a church as a really peripheral part of their life. And what I'm encouraging us to consider and think about this morning is if Isaiah encounters God in the temple and the church is the temple, then what could be more fundamental to our week, to our life, than gathering together with the people of God in worship? Now, let me say I'm a little self-conscious on this point because some of you who might be a tad bit more cynical are listening to this and saying, ah, of course, the pastor's point in his sermon is you should come to church because that's what the pastor wants. People come to church. Of course I do. But I risk your cynicism because I have to say this is the most important part of our week, gathering together for worship with the people of God. And I risk you thinking that I'm just trying to get more people to this church to say actually what matters deeply is that you gather weekly with the people of God to hear God's word, to praise and worship, to be a community, to be a temple. So are you prioritizing worship? If you are, praise God and continue doing so. And if there is some room to make that more of a real part of your life, then consider, look at your schedule and make a plan for how regular engagement with the people of God can be a non-negotiable in your week. Third point of application. If it's true that the church is a temple, then that means everyone in this church is both needy and needed. Everyone is needy and needed. One of my favorite images when I talk to people about the church is to remind us that we are a temple. And if you think about a temple, or even if you look outside and see a brick building, you notice that every brick is laid upon other bricks. The ancient temple would have been a bunch of stones laid upon each other. And the image that Paul gives us in Ephesians 2, that of temple, is to say basically every Christian is a stone. And do you know what that means? You should be resting on others and someone should be resting on you. There should be others in the church that you're supporting and there should be some that you lean on. Or to say it another way, everyone is needy and needed. Everyone needs the community of faith. You can't do life on your own. Self-sufficiency is an idol that will crush you. And so the invitation as a church is to recognize that I need others. I need accountability. I need support. I need to share my burdens with other people. I need the church. You're needy, but also you're needed. It would be a lie from the pit of hell for you to think that you can't make a contribution at Reality Church London. But the truth is, your background, your experiences, your perspective are unique. There's no one like you. And you have something to offer and to enrich this community. You are desperately needed. You know, as our nation celebrates Black History Month, I've been rereading sermons from black leaders that have shaped me over the years. 
One of them is preached by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And talking about the importance of every person in the church, Dr. King says this, the image of God, the Imago Dei, is the idea that every person has something within them that God injected. We must never forget this. There are no gradations in the image of God. He says, every person from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard. Precisely because every person is made in the image of God. And one day we'll learn that. What Dr. King is saying is, you might be here today and feel like you don't have much to offer. That's not true. You might be here today and feel like you have not much to contribute. That's a lie. Every person is significant. Because every person is made in God's image. And in fact, the more different we are, the more ways we have to contribute to what God is doing in this church. That's what it means to be a temple. Every stone, every Christian, needy and needed. And fourth, final point of application. This passage is calling us to a recommitment to prayer. A recommitment to prayer. We've been talking about how the church is a temple. In Isaiah 56, so a little bit later in the same passage we're looking at. In Isaiah 56, twice, God calls the temple a house of prayer. At its heart, a temple is meant to be a place of prayer. You say, well, what is prayer? Well, it's a place to encounter and enjoy the presence of God. I mean, prayer is many things, right? It's, it's thanking God for things. It's asking God for things. It's complaining to God about things. Some of you do that. It's an important part of prayer. It's called lament. Prayer is many things, but at its heart, what is prayer? It's encountering and enjoying the presence of God. This church, any church, frankly, is meant to be a house of prayer. A place where we have communion with God, where we come into his presence and we enjoy him together. And I don't know how to do that more fundamentally than by being a community that worships and prays. That's why we worship every Sunday. That's why we have extended time for prayer every Sunday. That's why we have our prayer nights. So I'm asking you to recommit to prayer, not just as a program at Reality Church London, but as a way that we together be the temple. We be a house of prayer. We encounter and enjoy God's presence. Why? How? Because Jesus is the true temple. He died for us. When the physical building was torn down, that was an illustration of him dying and rising for us. So run to him today, the true temple, and that is how we can be a temple in this city, worshiping God and making him known. Let's pray and ask for that now, even as we come into our time of response. Our God, thank you for meeting us this morning as we've looked together at this great passage. But we pray now for more than just information. We pray for an experience of you. So as we come to our time of response, we pray that we would have an encounter, that we would experience you like Isaiah did in the temple, that you'd be glorified in our midst and that we'd be changed as a result. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen.